The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Good morning, everyone. Sorry to hit y'all with loudness so quickly. But good morning, dear loved ones. And uh, it is very encouraging. I agree with uh, Pastor Mel. It is wonderful to have uh, Pastor Bill and his lovely wife, Melanie, uh, back with us. Uh, and we give God the glory for uh, performing. Today we're going to talk a little bit about despair. And as a dreary, it's fitting that it's a very dreary, overcast day outside. The question I get asked often by those who have a lot of veteran is, hey, how do I comfort my uncle, my brother, my father? My aunt, who's come back from overseas, but they haven't come back fully. And they're hurting more than we can imagine. Because the reality, the sad reality, is that although we lost 7,000 soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines in combat from 9-11 until this day, unfortunately, we've lost 30,000 soldiers, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, to suicide since 9-11. I want to put you in the mind as I'm talking to a young man who has two beautiful children. He's fully tatted up real well. And he's got this hard exterior that nothing can penetrate. And as I'm talking to him, just trying to, trying to just asking him questions talking to him a little bit, and he starts to share about what happened to him and his platoon in Badr City in Iraq. It was right before we built the wall, and unfortunately, his platoon that was attached to a, a tank battalion, a tank uh, brigade, excuse me, was decimated during that time. He was a sniper, and he was, you know, forced to do things that, you know, you don't want to know about. In fact, he told me that he basically wakes up at night with the nightmares of accidentally of this little kid getting caught in the crossfires. And his little child, his little seven-year-old boy being the face of that kid who is brutally taken before his time. These burdens are greater than we can imagine. But I get still asked the question, what? should I do? What would you say to this person? And I'll tell you, when the despair is so great that you can't even imagine it, I have to point to the one thing and the only thing that can penetrate that hardened shell because underneath is a scared, terrified man who doesn't know which way is up, which way is down, and his whole life is going sideways. If you remember, there was, uh, in the 90s, there was the, you know, WWJD. Do y'all remember what that stood for? Anybody? What would Jesus do? And that was a big fad in the 90s, and people put little bracelets on. But did you know that actually started by an author in 1896 who wrote a book in his steps, What Would Jesus Do? And the impact of an author writing What Would Jesus Do is where I would like us to take today. I want you to shift now to another vivid scene. 
And in this scene, you've got disciples fleeing Jerusalem. Their leader has just been arrested, falsely convicted, beaten, crucified. And these followers are fleeing Jerusalem because they're thinking, man, it could be me next. The despair that is coming over them Maybe a despair that, that you've not faced to that degree, but maybe in a different level, you've hit one of those heart points in your life where you don't know what to do. How do I counsel? How do I console both for yourselves and for others? And today, we're going to jump forward in considering that, of that hour, and I'm going to take you to a very obscure passage in Mark, the last chapter 16. And he says this, and he, Jesus, appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went to the country. And they went and they told it to rest, but they did not believe them either. This is a tiny little verse, and it gets, ex gets expanded and amplified in Luke, the 24th chapter, the very last verse. And I want you to catch something. We're going to hit five principles that I believe are critical for us. One as we comfort and console ourselves in times of needs, but also others who desperately need it. The first fact is that Jesus walks alongside people in tough circumstances. I'm reading now from Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went to them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Jesus walked with them. And I want to tell you, one of the challenges is sometimes when, do, can we just come alongside people in their times of need? And there's two things I want you to think of. I want you to think about heat, which are the hardships, the trials. It's, it's a friend of mine calling me, telling me, man, I think, you know, my wife's pregnant and, and my heart is just racing. I'm concerned I had a heart attack, but thankfully it was nothing. But who can they reach out to in those hardships, trials, sufferings? But then being able to walk alongside them not hitting them. And I love the fact that Jesus, actually it says he disguised himself. That we don't necessarily have to go up and say, golly, hey, this is what you need to do because the Bible says it. You know what? Jesus walked along with them. And you're going to find out in a little bit, he listened. And he asked questions. And he got intimately involved because a seven-mile walk, I don't know about you, on a dusty, high-hilled area, you're not going to cover that in five minutes. It's ours that they're having this conversation. It's ours that Jesus took to walk alongside people to discover one, guess what? People are having a hard time. But two, I think he reminded them a little bit about the grace and blessings. And I would pray that you would think about that, that no matter how desperate the exact situation you may be in at that moment, Look back 
at the grace that you receive, the blessings. Because it's so hard when you're focused on the negative to even remember all the good that has happened. The next part is that Jesus, he listens so closely and he asks questions. This is the hardest thing for me. Some of my leaders have been exemplifying this very well. Rear Admiral Fisher in a meeting, he's one of the elders who serves you and us at the King's Chapel. He does not open his mouth. He lets other people speak and then sort of at the end you'll hear him instead of, he knows the answer, <laughs> but instead he asks questions help people, us, come to the best answer together. Um, this is what Jesus did and does. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Can we please be perceptive? There's coworkers that are working and are sad. They don't need to be told, hey, do this. They might need to just be listened to and recognize that, hey, not every day is a great day. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which is happening in these days? Exemplified, are you crazy? Do you not know what's going on? Jesus' response was interesting. And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. But we were hoping, but we were hoping I want you to stop for a moment and fill in that blank of all the things that you were hoping for, that you wanted to go a different way, but instead, God had a different path. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, they astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, they didn't see. When you look at the tomb, and Jesus isn't there, what do you see? What do you see in an empty tomb? And that's the sadness. See, we are revealed truth, but I want you to ask you, when, as Jesus is listening and asking questions, you know what he's really trying to get to? A lot of times in our lives, and we're seeing this with a lot of our service members, where you're seeing, and I'm going to call it bad seeds, bad fruit, okay, bad fruit. You're seeing alcoholism, addictions to substances, adulteries, pornography, 
self-destructive acts. However, I'm going to ask you, as Jesus asked them, look deeper to what are the roots that are causing that fruit. Now, I want you to think for a second at Cleopas and the unknown follower of Jesus to be named later. He's kind of like in a, in a fantasy football draft. He's just the extra guy thrown in. But isn't this wonderful? We don't even know his name. This is the only time we ever hear of Cleopas. But as they're going through, what do you think they're really, what's causing? Now, we know right now they're fleeing, right? Okay. They're most probably doing a, I'm going to call this, a reflexive action. And this is the thing I have to work on so much because reflexive actions are very helpful for your brain. Reflexive actions, you, do you have to think about picking up your phone and hiding the dial it? Do you have to think about opening a door? Do you even think about really starting your car and even drive? There's certain things that we do that our brain just kicks in right away. But the problem is, is that we, if we allow our reflexive action, when we feel anything of tension or pressure, guess what reflexive actions pick up? Fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, flight, or freeze. What were these two disciples doing? They were what? Fleeing. Getting the heck out of Dodge. Getting out of Jerusalem. How often do we fight, flight, or freeze and don't even realize it? What Jesus and what the Bible is teaching us is to be reflective instead of reflexive when things count. When people come up to you, walk and talk with them for miles instead of the, hey, good morning. Yeah, it's a great morning. How are you really doing today? When you stop and put in, no, look someone in the eyes. It's a privilege. You get to pray with Clark at the gym. It's a, you know, it's, it's neat. We could just, you know, just see and wave to each other, or we could be encouraged. But what, that's the fruit, the fleeing. What is the actual roots that are coming up that actually are causing that reflexive, that flight mentality? Anybody have a guess? I guarantee most of us have experienced it. It's doubt. Was Jesus really who he said he was? Was Jesus really is Jesus, really. We, he was supposed to do this for us. We're supposed to have the kingdom of God now. And terribly, that doubt becomes in because God isn't working on my timetable. Dear loved ones, I will tell you from experience, God's timetable is so much better than ours. But it requires the hardest word in the human language. It requires Trust, belief, and faith. So how, so what do you do next? Do we just throw platitudes? Hey, I'm not going to say his name. Former sergeant, army, great guy. Hey, just try harder. You'll be a better dad. Hey, why don't you just, you know, hey, go do this and everything will be fine. Jesus does not correct so sillily. Jesus corrects with the word of God, with scripture and truth. And I bring this up because this is what our world 
desperately needs. It needs the anchor that is not going to be blown to and fro in every way. He also corrects what I would call harshly. Sometimes we need to be told, hey, Brian, you are wrong. I'm going to read now at verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ, the Messiah, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He presented the gospel from the beginning. And the gospel is this beautiful, but we have to take it. Guess what? You are of value. You are created in God's image. It's not perchance. There's value. God cares about you. God is holy. People don't talk about that. God is holy, set apart, perfect. What is going to be the cost to bridge this gap? Because everyone knows that we have fallen, that we're not good enough, that we're too short with our spouses. We're too selfish from making time for our children. We put ourselves first instead of others when we know it. You see, the temptation was a shortcut. Hey, you want, you want to be like God? Do this. Did God really say? Did God really say? And those temptations of shortcuts, those choices, result in the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, God's provision for that is Jesus. And in Hebrews 4.15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. I want you to picture another scene when Jesus starts his ministry, and he comes in and he opens the scrolls of the prophet of Isaiah, and he reads out, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, he stopped that moment at that scripture but I want to go on a little bit because this is who we are in Christ. Verse 2 continues, and the day of the vengeance of God, to comfort those who mourn, to console, console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes and all of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Redemption 
is the next step. What you're seeing there is the redemptive act. The reason he stopped was because he had not yet suffered what he needed to do so he could pay the price so that we can now have fellowship and that gap of perfection removed, that distance, that gulf that could never be overtaken by our goodness was paid for by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The empty tomb for us is empty because Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen. And without the redemption of Christ, we are under the curse, we're under the burden, we're under the law. But in Christ, and I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks to God, he who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law so that we could have life. We are redeemed. We are redeemed in Christ. And that is the only thing that can pierce through the stone wall of sin and death that hangs upon us who have not seen and been shared the love and life through Jesus Christ. My favorite scripture after sharing the gospel is two things. One, you remember you're a new creation, right? This is found in 2 Corinthians. If anyone's in Christ, is a new creation. That old stuff has passed away. All things are new. But I'm going to ask you to memorize. Did you hear me? Memorize Romans 8.1. I've had to live in Romans for the past 30 years. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you're feeling condemnation, that is not of God the Father, of His precious Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Leave that. After service, we're going to be praying. Leave that condemnation. Leave it. Leave it. Because Jesus, the whole purpose of his filling that gap is because he restores relationships. He restores relationships. Verse 28, then they drew near the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, we have abide with us. Jesus hadn't yet revealed who he was yet. Abide with us. For his evening and the day is far spent. And guess what Jesus did? He went and stayed with him. Now it came to pass as Jesus sat at the table with them. He took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. Please examine your hearts. We're going to share communion right after services today. Then their eyes were open and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. We look at bad fruit, and I want you to examine the bad roots behind it. Please don't just pick at that. You've got to get rid of the roots. You know, I, I had a really bad toothache, and I could take 
aspirin and Tylenol and all that, and it would make it to where it wasn't terrible. But if I didn't go to the dentist, guess what was going to happen? That thing was going to abscess, get worse and worse and worse. And eventually, you know people have died from infected teeth? Just a toothache. Now I'm going to ask you to plant good roots. Good roots that are godly beliefs. Our motives change. We don't do things to be seen. We do things to be servants in Christ. See, the scripture comes alive. The word of God does not come back void. And when we put the word of God in, it's going to put those good roots. And guess what eventually is going to come up? Even from the hardest man, the hardest men. At Mighty Oaks, I, I'm privileged to start in January, start a mentoring program. Well, I gotta work with these really hard boys. And you know what? Some of them are young believers, and God's changing some things in their life, but not everything. Sometimes they're too hard, sometimes they're not hard enough. But guess what? We get that roots, they're coming up, and fruit is coming up, and lives are being changed for eternity. And men, like that young man who wakes up with nightmares of seeing his own child on the face of that little Iraqi boy. His life has changed. His spouse is encouraged. His children don't have to live the reality that their dad was overcome by guilt and death. Jesus reveals the gospel, himself, his mission, his desire for you. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Some of your friends are saying that after they come to Christ. Wasn't our heart burning when, hey, wasn't our heart burning when Craddock was talking to us, hey, what, something was going on. It was more than just pickleball. So they rose up that very hour, and guess what they did? They went back to Jerusalem. They were emboldened, one, because their doubt was called out. And you know what? There's a lot of doubting people. They're emboldened by that. They heard the scriptures, they heard truth, and they responded to that truth. Let God do work in people's lives. Please, but I ask you to be the open vessel that Christ can use through you exactly where you're called to be, exactly where you're called to serve. And they, so they rose up that hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Now, when they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Pastor Mark has challenged us to be a singing church, a praying church, and a witnessing church. And I want you to refocus the witnesses, not just handing tracts and beating people over the head with Bibles. Witnessing is walking alongside people where they're at. It's listening. It's 
asking questions. It's asking our Heavenly Father to open up an opportunity to where you can share life-giving truth through the Word of God. And guess what? Don't just get overly focused on the bad fruit. Realize, you could, we could, we're going to call it out. But plant some good seeds. And wow, the fruit's going to come. I have a few questions for you before we close in prayer. Who are you walking alongside? Just think about this for a second. Who are you walking alongside? Who are you listening to and asking questions with? Who are you revealing God's love and truth through the scriptures? What relationships are you helping to restore in Christ's love and life? How is Jesus revealing himself through you daily? If you don't know what I'm talking about, if Jesus is this distant, you know maybe about him here, stop. Today's the day to say, Lord, come into my life. Come into my life. I have a little booklet here in the back. And what can you do? You can do this to your Marine soldier, sailor, and airman. And yes, it's the Marine fit. I got like 200 E's and 10 of the other services. Sorry, guys. But um, in this book, and, and you can get it for yourself too, but also for any service members, it's got one of the best descriptions of what it means, what Jesus really did, and what it really means to be saved. But the best part is right in the middle of the book, it asks this question. Will you trust in Jesus? Right now, if you don't know, I'm going to pray a little prayer that they have in the book, and then I'm going to pray, pray and close, and then I believe Mark's going to come up, and we're going to do uh, worship and communion. If God's tugging on your heart, close your eyes, please, guys. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need you to forgive me. I know that you died a painful death so that my sins could be forgiven. Thank you. I trust you as my Savior, and I want you to be Lord of my life. Make me the person that you want me to be. Amen.